Hey, I'm Daniel, a political activist and campaigner turned management consultant turned coach. And this is PoliticWise, the podcast where politics meets personal development. Let's face it, it's easy to criticize those in politics. But being in politics is not an easy ride. And yet for many who make the leap, it's worth it. They can make a real difference. So how can we have both? How can we make a difference while at the same time showing up as the best version of ourselves? It's a question that's been with me for the last 20 years. First, when I started out as an activist leading an NGO, then when I did a PhD in politics, and later when I quit my job in consulting to help build up a political movement and run an election campaign. And today, as I coach young leaders who want to make a difference while staying true to themselves. I know the answers are out there, so join me on this podcast. We'll hear from political leaders, from psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers about their findings and experiences. And together, we learn about the ideas, mindsets, and tools of wise people in politics and beyond. Let's go. My guest today is an Italian and Dutch executive of international NGOs and think tanks, policy expert, author. Uh, she spent the last 12 years in Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and the US. And she returned to Italy in 2020 and was the Sherpa of G20 Empower. That's a private sector alliance for advancing female leadership. She's been published in media outlets like Forbes, Corriere della Sera, L'Espresso, And she published a book about Italian politics and polarization. She holds a master in public administration from Harvard and a master's in international relations from Sciences Po in Paris. My guest today is Gaia van der Esch. Gaia, welcome. Thank you so much, Kanye, for having me. Gaia, I read a little bit about your book, uh, Volti d'Italia. And... Um, My Italian, I guess, is too bad to have read it in full. But what I understood mm -hmm. is that you drove across your home country, Italy, with uh, a Fiat 600. Now, that's a small and I guess also old car. Very how, small car. How was, how was that experience <laughs> for you? So it was the car of my grandma. So, of course, it was. I drove during the summer. There was no AC. There was no radio. I was mostly by myself. I brought my brother for a few parts of the trip to be a bit less bored while I was in the car. Um, so it was a lot of driving. It was very hot, uh, but it was, I think, one of the most fascinating trips I've done in my life because I, as you mentioned, I left Italy when I was 20 um, and I, I worked abroad, I studied abroad, and I really wanted to return to my home country to, to contribute and to work on Italian politics and policy and try and fix things in Italy. Uh, but I wanted to reconnect with my country before doing that. And when you live so far away, you always feel a bit disconnected. You feel you don't have a grasp of, you know, how people feel, what people are thinking. You just read the newspapers. You don't see the real country. And so this was the purpose of the trip, was really to go around across all the regions of Italy and speak with just normal people like me, like you, like anyone listening to us and see what they think and what they feel about Italy, about politics, about society, about, you know, the multiple crises we've been living as a country and as Europe, as, as the world, uh, and how is it that we can change things. Um, so it was a very, very enriching uh, trip where I met lots of impressive people. Mm. And, and I guess very diff different people, different regions of, 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 of a quite diverse country. 
um what's what stood out to you from from that what what yeah what what are the highlights for you so the highlights i mean there there are many of course i think one thing that stood out is how frustrated people are with politics i think we know that the data says that the fact that so few people uh, vote compared to historical uh, voting percentages in italy and beyond tell us but seeing it in the eyes of people i think is very different um they they really people really are disenchanted and disillusioned with politics they don't think it's um it's a solution to anything they think it's just people that are positioned for their own interests it's people that you shouldn't trust um it's people that are not looking after uh, the common good it's just people that are looking after their uh, personal preference or interests and and what also stood out is that as as a response to this people adopt the same mechanism i think italy also compared to maybe other european country is is a country that is very based on family ties community ties solidarity it's it's like for me their founding values somehow what italy is and what it has been for many decades uh, but this is really eroding and and i really felt this disenchantment towards politics makes people uh, kind of you know <laughs> look only at themselves as well they say you know look, no one is looking out for me so i need to look out for myself and i need to think about my family and my job and i will vote based on my very personal interest i'm not going to vote based on a vision on a dream that i have for my country on values that i think should be represented but based on who's making me pay less taxes because mm-hmm. you know i think my taxes are too high and i think and i look out for myself um so there's really a lot of indi- somehow this individualism uh, type of approach to life that has been coming out across all regions of italy Uh, but also there's lots of sadness linked to that i don't think people are happy to be so selfish it's a coping mechanism and everybody always said from the north to the south of italy from the smallest village to the island they always said i wish we could go back to being more community oriented to be more united to have a vision to have a direction as a country but you know i'm doing what everybody else does from the politician down i'm looking after myself um this is not how i would want it to be but this is how it is um so this division this polarization was very strong and this disenchantment with politics was really sad to see because people behave in a very similar way and it's a very difficult it's very difficult to break i think this mechanism mm-hmm. yeah and at the same time encouraging right to hear that you know there is this the satisfaction uh, this individualistic turn but at the same time the wish to have more of a sense of community perhaps that could be expressed into doing things together in terms of the city or the nation uh, and through politics. Definitely. And I'm I'm an optimist. I think that also if someone that is listening wants to read the book, it's an Italian opportunity, they will see I'm an optimist. And and what comes out is finally an optimistic perspective on Italy and how is it that we can change. And this is exactly what you're saying is exactly my point, is the fact that people long to have more community, long to see things changing, uh, are afraid to leave a very dysfunctional country to their children or their grandchildren or the next generation, could be such a big drive for change. 
Um, politics is not leveraging it much, to be honest. Even in this in these months that we're going to have elections soon, it's inside and it's accusing one side to be fascist, one side to be communist. They're not speaking much about concrete ideas, about values, about you know coming together, uh, not being so divisive all the time. Uh, but but there is the potential in the people themselves to fix things um, and to change the direction we have been taking and, and to come back together as, as a country. Um, mm -hmm. And I agree, it's something we need to figure out how to bring out from people. And, and I think the change very often is bottom up. And if at some point our politicians don't deliver, maybe we can manage at, at some level through activism, through civil society, uh, through civic engagement to change this and hopefully then translate that into policy and into politics as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think you, you, you mentioned it or touched upon it, but, you know, coming away from this trip, how, how did that shape you? You think, did it, did it encourage you to go into politics? Did it de deter you? Did it change your perspective on politics and the challenges, uh, the opportunities, how, 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 how did it change you? So it changed me in the direction that you're mentioning. It changed me in the direction of being even more somehow motivated uh, about the, the, the possibility of changing things in Italy, in Europe, in many, in many of our countries. The fact that there is a base that wants to see things changed, but they don't have a voice or someone that they identify with and they trust to lead. Uh, this type of change. So it definitely motivated me uh, to, to put myself out there and, and to somehow try and, and build uh, a constituency and a movement and empower people to, to be actors of this change. Uh, and it also convinced me even more of the need of having different type of people entering politics. I think the big issue is that what we refer to as politics, what people in my Uh, book in my trip referred to as politics I would I always say it's politics with a small p not with a capital p it's not what politics should be uh, so there is a big disenchantment with what politics is but politics should be something different and I am someone that believes so strongly into the fact that politics is finally where a lot of decisions are made and where a lot of change can happen Uh, if you have the right people, the right competence, the right vision, and also the right pragmatists to work together and fix problems and, and really put the common interests first rather than your own seed or your own problem or your own interest. And this trip really convinced me of the fact that we need to rethink and provide a different image of what politics could be. It's very difficult to do, but if no one enters the political arena from outside the current political arena, the model is never going to change. Um, so I think I really definitely came out motivated and convinced that we need to have people that have the courage to disrupt the current political system and, and create a different uh, vision for what politics should be in all of our countries. Yeah. And you mentioned change and, and different politics. W what is it that you want to change? Or what, what is the change you're looking looking to make? Is there something specific, a topic of yours? And and perhaps even more importantly, like how? Um, um, what, what's your theory of change? How to go about it and, and, and how to change it? Yeah. So I think... Every person is driven probably by something a bit different. I'm very triggered 
by injustice, by unfairness. It's something that I notice also in my private life. I always get very upset when I see something even on the street that I find unjust or unfair, I, I can't shut up. And that has always been my character since I was a small kid. I used to go to the mayor's office and, and complain about all sorts of weird kids' preoccupations, like people were feeding uh, you know, bread to the ducks and to the swans and it's not healthy or uh, scooters were driving too fast and it was dangerous for us kids while we were playing uh, in the streets. But, but I always spoke up of what I thought was not right or not fair or not the right thing to do. Um, and, and I think this to me is my driver. I've, I've done different type of jobs, as you've mentioned. I've worked in the humanitarian field for many years. I worked in uh, several African countries. I was many years in the Middle East working on Syria and on Iraq. And that's a way of helping people, of empowering people and of fixing uh, this type of injustice that we see in our world. I work with think tanks to try and drive policy uh, and, and decision-making based on evidence and based on analysis to make sure that who is in the driving seat um, takes the right decision to fix this social injustice that, that we're facing uh, across the world. Um, and I've been lately working with the G20, as you mentioned, which is a very different type of job because it, it's much more within the government and it's within the mechanism, not outside of the mechanism advocating towards governments, but it's within the government itself and, um, and really trying to change things also through that. And I'm someone that really believes there are many ways of changing things. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a career that sometimes it's difficult to explain because I've switched between you know humanitarian aid and then think tank and then now G20. I'm probably now starting a new position. I will be a managing director of the big foundation. Um, so, so I'm shifting in different directions and I'm someone that definitely at some point will wants to go into real politics and have an actual political uh, decision-making executive role within a government in Italy or at the European level. Uh, but I think there are many ways of fixing things when you speak about the how. And it's different perspectives that are still working on the same issue of social equity, of inclusion, of uh, you know, justice um, and, and human rights and dignity for people. So these are really, the, for me, the basics uh, that we're looking at and that unfortunately we still don't have in our world, right? If all these basic requirements would be met for everybody, uh, be it in Italy, be it in Europe, be it for uh, Italians or for migrants in Italy, be it for, uh, you know, people right now in Ukraine or in the Middle East or in many forgotten crises across Africa. If we would all have these basic rights respected, we could think about other many priorities that we have on the table. But unfortunately, we are far from being at that stage. There's still horrible abuses and horrible disparities that we're all victims of. Um, and, and, and it's important to work on that. And one thing just on this I want to say is that I also had this feedback from the people I talked to in Italy. They don't care, I would say, so much about you know, one party or another party or about very specific values or visions. What they care about, what they want is simply to be okay in their situation, feel safe in their own country, feel that there are opportunities for themselves, for their children, for the future generations, feel that you know the nature and the places where they live in are taken care of. So what people want, I don't find it so complicated. I think it's very basic in a positive sense. And that's where we need to start 
from because we're not doing that. We're looking at mm. all other sets of interest and power dynamics that is not what people care or should care about because that's not what changes their lives really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're speaking to something that I think progressives have traditionally done really badly uh, is that uh, it's like policy wonks, right? Like talking about these individual and on the technical side, the policies and trying to convince with that and trying to speak with citizens about that who might not have the time uh, to, to, to be the policy wongs, but yeah. underneath every policy, there are things that are important to people like values. Um, and, and those, those might be different. You already spoke to things that are important to you, right? Like equity, uh, justice. Um, and I, and, and progressive had, Progressives have been really bad at showing the links between the values underlying those policies, and mm. um, so yeah, that 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 really yeah that, that that's a that's a really interesting interesting perspective that, to to start with that actually. I, I really think so, and I think that's why uh, let's say left center left parties really struggle to speak and to keep the vote of people because they go the very technical route. I'm, I'm a technical profile. I'm a policy <laughs> as well. But because I have the luxury of being one, right? I had the yeah. top education for it. I have time in my jobs to do it. I'm paid to do it. Like 99.9% of the population mm -hmm. is not looking at that. And, and it's really the base and the values and the dignity and what it means to be into politics and the reasons that drive you and, and how is it that you want to help people. Those things are not well transmitted to people and people feel this distance and, and they don't believe and they don't trust uh, this type of discourse. Of course, you can argue that the populist discourse speaks to the, you know, uh, to the stomach of people and then doesn't deliver. But I understand that it's attractive because on the other side, they don't have the capacity to speak also to the stomach of people. Then, of course, you need to use that and, and bring the head into it and make decisions that are good for the country and uh, not that are good for very few people based on an irrational choice. But you need both. You need the head and you need the heart. And I think the heart part is difficult to do, um, but is what then drives politics and what creates trust with people. And I see this is really, really, really missing. And, and for, for me, it's a very natural thing. Also, when I spoke to people, it was a very natural connection that we created on both sides, because finally, that's the beginning, the basis of it. And I never told anyone that I would one day consider going into politics. I never told anyone, this is why I'm doing the trip to understand you better and understand the society better and, and represent you better. But everybody, by the end of it, asked me, why don't you run? We need people yeah. like you that understand us. And this really means that the common politician doesn't do that or doesn't project that capacity to do it. And, and it's a huge missed opportunity because that's finally what the politician should be and should stand for. It should stand for yeah. other people and for common good. But that's that's what I can imagine is the challenge, right? Because now you are speaking with them as as perhaps Gaia, right? Like an Italian citizen um, who might be interested in politics, but is not yet that politician in it, mm -hmm. in Italian government or in politics, who then has a specific role, right? As soon as you are a politician, you've got you're not just you're not just Gaia, you're also Gaia the politician. Definitely. And then there's a there's a different way to speak to people. You can choose to speak as Gaia or 
I imagine, or as Gaia, the politician. And I think this is, I can imagine this is how, how, you know, it might, might get yeah, tangled up where you forget about yourself as a citizen, as a person, as a family, um, as a son, as a daughter, but only speak as, as the role of that as a politician. Like, I guess that that's where the challenge comes in. It, it definitely is. Um, if I'm in that position, day, it will be very, very challenging. But I also think that that's exactly what we need to reimagine. And I think there are some politicians that, to me, that manage to do that. So, for example, if I think of Jacinta Ardern in New Zealand, I think she's the role model for a lot of women. But to me, she really manages to embed to embed values and, and an approach to politics and also a connection between her life as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, yeah. whatever role she has with her political figure. And, and that creates a very strong capacity to connect that is not a fake capacity. It, that's where the real cap connection capacity happens. Because you're a daughter, because you're a citizen, because you're a mother, you understand certain issues. Um, and I think that that's exactly what we need to reimagine. I think the, the values and the skills that are often identified with a politician holding a certain role, uh, but also with leadership in general, are very male-dominated values and skills, I would say, because it's a world that has been created mainly by men, both in the private sector, but also, of course, in government. They're very focused on, you know, who's most competitive, who's most, uh, I don't know, assertive, who's looking or advancing in a most efficient way a specific interest, who's getting their first. Those are the values and also the, I would say, the um, somehow lack of humanity that we've embedded into the dominant leadership model. And I think we see the limits of that. We see where the world stands today. Uh, we see what's happening with uh, Ukraine, with the war, with wars all over the world. Uh, we see what's happening with climate change. It's a type of leadership that is not looking at fixing really our global challenges, at preventing Uh, at preventing conflict is a leadership that often accelerates uh, because they look at short-term interests, because they look at uh, competition rather than collaboration at the global level. And I think that's really what needs to change. And um, for me, someone that you think the Arden is someone that brings this type of change and this type of different values to the leadership roles. And to me, that's also something very linked to women to a certain extent. I've heard so many times um, someone telling a girl or a woman, also in work and job context, I have, I've had executive roles very young, uh, but I've heard many times people saying, you know, you're too sensitive, you're too empathic, um, as if that's a negative thing. For me, that's a very positive thing. The problem is that you are too unsensitive and you're not empathic enough. And that's what we need to change. Like politics should start with empathy with capacity to understand people and leadership should start with that. And, and we really need to rethink this model of leadership. And this is why I hope that if a day I will have a, a position where I am a minister or I, I have that type of role, I'll at least try not to forget uh, this and, and to really work in bringing together me, Gaia, as Gaia and yeah. as a citizen, as whatever role I'm going to have, with my role as a politician, because I think that's where we can make a difference. 
Yeah, it's it sounds like also uh, the, the way you describe it, empathy. Um, it, it it sounds like an integrated um, model, right? You're integrating the different parts of you and bringing, not not separating it and just bringing one part of you um, mm. to the outside to the public, but more of yourself. Um, and re yeah. reading up a little bit on. And I, and I had a guest, as one of my first guests, uh, James Weinberg. He studies um, emotions and stress of politicians. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the stress comes for a politician comes from having to juggle these different roles, right? And I can imagine if you if you're okay with bringing integrating them and bringing more of yourself and not having to decide between one or the other, it also makes your life easier as a politician. That's what I would think. And I've had that experience, not as a politician, but as an executive. I've been in positions where I have to manage a thousand staff, where I was under a lot of stress, where there was my job role and then my personal priorities and needs. And I mean, I've come to this conclusion that we need to rethink the leadership model because of this experience. And, and I agree. I think that if you're more yourself in whatever position you're in, uh, be it in your private life or in your professional life, and you're also clear and transparent about how these two connect, where your limits or your boundaries are, uh, but also how is it that one strengthens the other, it makes it much easier for you. You're much more at ease wherever you are. It's not easy to do, um, but I think it's, it's uh, for me, it's a no-brainer. Like It's the only way of remaining healthy. <laughs> in yeah. either environment because it's really really hard otherwise to have completely different disconnected personalities and problems and ways of being um yeah. and, and prioritizing each time yeah it gets it gets it gets complicated uh <laughs> how so you, you've already talked about leadership model and perhaps a female leadership model i know you're working on that right now um how would you describe describe that and you already outlined it a little bit but how is female leadership or a more female leadership model different from what we have at the moment? I think it's very difficult. And also when I speak with thought leaders and experts about it, it's very difficult to clearly state this is how woman leadership is, this is how male leadership is. Because of course, there's so many cultural norms, there's so many society impact that we have on our lives that it's very difficult to say what's nature, and what's culture and to differentiate it clearly, right? It, it, it's impossible practically to do that. Generally speaking, there are studies that confirm that women tend to think more, more long-term compared to men, probably also because of the biological aspect of you know, uh, procreation uh, that makes us think more instinctively about the children or the next generations. Uh, there are also indications that women tend to be more collaborative uh, than men and that women tend to have more empathy uh, compared to, to, let's say, an average uh, man in a certain position. But I also think it's important not to add more stereotypes, right? Not to say you're a woman, so you should be collaborative and empathic and think in the long run, because there's so much diversity also among women as there is among men. And I think... My, my idea is that finally, I, I imagine it as a scale. It's a great scale on which we're all in. Uh, each of us is at a different point, at a different stage with certain nuances that each of us has. 
but it's a scale where you can have a more assertive and competitive and maybe interest-oriented, uh, personal interest-oriented leadership, or you can have a more collaborative, empathic, uh, and maybe long-term uh, type of leadership thinking and model. And I think what has prevailed so far is uh, the more competitive and assertive uh, style of leadership. It is changing. I think you hear a lot of people thinking, speaking about kindness and you know, empathy as new values we should all have as leaders. But I think it's a lot of talking and not much doing for now. But typically, I think that that's the direction we should take much more and have the capacity to be a bit bilingual and understand uh, and understand, you know, both models of leadership and where we need a specific model of leadership. Because in some positions, I might recruit someone that is, you know, super goal-oriented and gets me uh, whatever I want very quickly, no matter what. In other positions, I will want the opposite. Um, so it's really a matter of understanding, of enlarging, I think, the spectrum of what leadership means. And I think that will make it much easier for women uh, that often are on more on the empathic collaborative side of the scale to be recognized as leaders and not to be told you're too sensitive to be a boss, uh, but rather to tell the guy you're too insensitive to be the boss. So I think that should create space if you manage to enlarge this leadership spectrum and the values behind it. But I think it also should create space for men because there are so many men that are more empathic that would like to have a more collaborative work relationship uh, but they don't or they can't because that's not the stereotype about what men should be or what men should do you know men shouldn't be sensitive men shouldn't cry so I think that enlarging the spectrum should liberate a bit all of us uh, from very stupid stereotypes that we've been carrying along for so long and, and help us be who we are and then that's really how where you can lead and where you can shine is where you can really use your skills that you have naturally and show them and claim them and be proud of them and, and somehow empower others by using them. Um, so that's a little bit my vision on this topic. And I definitely mm. think women need, need to be a huge part of this conversation and, and have the potential to really shift this narrative. But it's a discussion we must have all together. Um, otherwise, you know, if, if we claim a different style of leadership but the predominant uh, and who holds the power uh, <laughs> remains fixated on another style, nothing is going to change. So it's something we really need to do all together. Yeah, the, um, it's so interesting. I, I've got I've got a follow-up question, but before that, an observation on, on, on the empathy and the importance of that, right? The, the relationship between empathy and power, th there's an interesting, and there are interesting studies on how how power shapes your capacity for empathy and and broadly it it reduces it so the the more power you have the more risk you run that you focus more on yourself and what you can do and and how you can shape the environment and looking a little bit less at the world from the perspectives of others Definitely. Now, the more power you have the more you know under the risk you are it's not deterministic um, but so I can imagine the more empathy you bring into it and the better you're able to keep that, uh, the better, I guess, you're equipped to, to, um, prevent this from, you know, you becoming someone who has a little empathy for, for people around you. I can say maybe something to this. It's a very personal mm. experience because I mean, I'm talking about empathy and collaboration. I'm actually someone that is quite competitive. 
and I always laugh with my partner because he's way more he has way more empathy than I do. Um, so so there you go. We have a great scale already in my relationship. Uh, but I think that I also found myself when I worked on you know the crisis in Syria that it's a very overwhelming situation. I was four years around Iraq and Syria and Jordan and Lebanon, seeing so much you know destruction and so many people that lost everything. It's very difficult to keep the empathy because you need to be effective and, and you very easily disconnect and you very easily think about what you need to do, how can you be effective, how can you get the best results? Because if you think about you know, how these people are feeling or what it must mean to them all the time, you, you don't manage to function. Um, so I agree. It's, it's really something that happens at all levels that I've lived on my skin many times and you need to find a balance between uh, you know, being effective and functional and still remembering why why you're there and why you're doing the job you're doing. Because finally, yeah. I want to be functional and effective because I want to save people's lives and I want to make sure they can live a, a safe enough life in a new country they arrived when they've escaped the war. Um, so it's a matter of tapping both. It's not yeah. easy to juggle, but I agree with you. I think at least in the in the motivation and what drives you, let's try and keep the empathy because that's really important. And also in the results you're having, let's try and keep the empathy. Then in the how, you might need to be very analytical and cold yeah. to get the best results and that's okay. But you know, if you get disconnected from your why, then there's no point in doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so interesting. That's what doctors learn as well, right? They can't, they, mm. they, they need to understand their patients but they can't feel all the emotions that they have or that the relatives must have. Otherwise yeah. they can't be an effective, uh, yeah, a doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> similar. It's a similar situation, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, but my follow-up question was, so the, 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 the leadership model and the vision that, that you, that you described, um, how, how to go about that? You, you mentioned, you, you said, to have a discussion on that, to change it to, towards that leadership model. How do we do that? Um, what perhaps, and I know it's early, early for you in, in this, in this writing this up now and doing the research, but any takeaways you have already uh, in terms of advice towards people out there, women out there uh, on what they can do to bring this new leadership model to, to life? Definitely. Uh, also because I started thinking about this exactly because within the G20, we were constantly speaking about women's leadership. And I saw there was so much focus on fixing the woman, uh, not much focus on fixing the system or fixing the, fixing the men uh, that maybe are a bit, you know, biased on so many topics. And I think that's one first thing to keep in mind to the woman and to the men that are listening let's stop fixing women. That's not the point. Uh, it's not women needs, need to be more competitive and they need to be mentored to become, I don't know, more efficient and less empathic. Like we need to fix the system because the system has a lot of issues. So there's so many policies uh, that have proven uh, to work effectively. I work very closely uh, as, as within the G20 in power. Uh, I work very closely with the World Economic Forum, with the OECD, with the ILO. They all have so much research on, uh, on what works. 
Um, for example, a very basic thing that works is parental leave should be equal for both, because at that point you eliminate the discrimination in hiring, the discrimination in promotions, and you really make sure that at home both, uh, both mother and father or mother and mother, father and father, whatever family composition it is, get the responsibility uh, to, take, to, to, to yeah, uh, care for the children and learn how to do it autonomously. Um, there are so many policies, like I'm not going to go through the list, but there are so many policies we've, you can also find, for example, in the G20 Empower Communique from 2021, uh, that both governments and companies, private sector can take to try and fix the system. Uh, but there is then the cultural shift, right? And that's what's most difficult. Uh, and as you say, like, let's have the discussion, how do you actually get it done? It's, if, if I would know, I would, I don't know, fix the world. But I think it starts with each of us having this discussion. Um, and so it starts with each woman or man that is maybe, maybe listening to this to question themselves about the biases. And even women have a lot of biases uh, on, on gender issues. Like there, there are uh, studies that show, I love negotiating. So I read a lot about negotiations. And there are studies that show that both women and men tend to lie more when negotiating to a woman, because they think a woman won't call them out while a man would, um, because a woman is more kind, so she's not going to call them out, so we can allow ourselves to lie more. And women do this to women as well. So there are lots of biases that I think each of us should question themselves about. And, and I think we should really then speak up and, and create in our little team, in our like, house, whatever community or team we're part of, start having this conversation and, and speaking to people and saying, you know, what do you think? Even on very simple issues like a pay gap, have you ever asked your colleague, your male colleague, how much he paid at the same level? I did it once and I discovered that person was paid twice what I was mm. paid. And I had never thought about pay gap before. I wasn't working on gender issues at all. Uh, I just happened to ask out of curiosity and I put my foot down and I didn't sign the next contract until I was paid a hundred euros more than him out of principle. And I think it's little things like these that we can all do in our jobs and really stand for ourselves because this is not a plus. This is like basic equity. We're being discriminated against. And um, it's a battle that will work only if each of us makes it their own battle. And again, it's not only women that must make, must make it their own battle, men must make it their battle as well, because it's so unfair and it can't be up to the women that are being discriminated against to have to fix the whole thing. We need men, we need allies, we need to work on this together. And men should do it for their partners, for their, for their, child, for their girls, children. Uh, for whoever is going to come because they are part of the system and of the society and it's not fair to live in such a place. So it's the role of each of us, men and women, to try and raise this discussion, stand for certain things, also very small things can make a big difference in your own life and, and slowly be a model of how things can change. Uh, because I think each of us is a role model, is going to be a role model to their children, to their nieces, is going to even be a role model for our parents that maybe have a different mentality and think about different things when they vote or when they take decisions. We can all be a role model of how things need to change and speak to others to try and be this change with them. Yeah. 
let's let's perhaps uh, close off with going back into politics and 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 perhaps perhaps your plans and and so uh, uh, talking to people who are in politics I, i i i have massive respect you know for those who step into the arena out sometimes called you know with good intentions making it about the people the community they want to serve not about themselves um and and perhaps even more respect if you try to do that in italian politics uh <laughs> perhaps even more so as a woman in italian politics mm -hmm. um i keep when when thinking about italian politics i keep coming back to matteo renzi now 10 years ago uh, or like more or less 10 years ago mm -hmm. um i remember watching a video of him he wasn't prime minister back then um but this was you know someone who was very inspirational charming someone who you believed right it was very convincing and you re mm -hmm. really believed him um, and he said something i still remember this that that is very true about italian politics he said you know the parties and the party logos in italy they change but the politicians remain the same and he said mm -hmm. it should be the other way around that the people and the ideas should change and the parties can can change can can remain the same Uh, now, 10 years later, he leaves his old party, right? And he creates his own party, a new party, new logo, same Matteo Renzi. Um, and, I, and I think about that because for me, it just shows how, yeah, things things can change and perhaps politics can change you. Um, so I guess my question is this, how how do you think right now you you want to deal with that, you know, entering the arena and the arena having perhaps being you know, having this possible sh possible effect on you and being being possibly there to, to shape you. How how do you want to go about that? What, what is your thinking at the moment? I, I would start with one thing. Whenever I was doing, and I'm, I'm still doing my book presentation, it sometimes, sometimes I'm asked, would you enter politics? Because of course it's a very political book. Um, it's not about parties, it's about people. That it's about you know values and vision for a country so that that's what politics should be about not about party dynamics um, and people ask me and when i say yes i always feel that the look changes a bit because as you say when you are no longer gaia but you're a potential politician and when there's such a negative connotation of what politicians are people are like ah okay so she's doing this you know to position herself or to advance their interests. And, and it, it, it's difficult because it's the first feeling you get from the people the moment you shift from being a citizen to being a potential future politician. So, I, um, so I'm very aware of that. And, and, and it's a difficult thing to manage. I think we discussed this, we discussed it in other uh, episodes of your podcast. It's a very diff difficult dynamic to manage. And I think it will affect me. I think it's very naive to think it wouldn't affect you, right? How people look at you and what people all of a sudden think you're doing in such a position. You must have some secret interest behind uh, or some secret motive of why you want to get into that position. But that's also partly why I see myself, I, I don't see myself as a lifelong politician. I see myself as a person that has its career. I have my career. I will continue uh, to work in international organizations, maybe in governments, more from the public administration side. I'll have my career as an executive, which to me is what really defines me. 
And for me, politics is about service. Um, as I mentioned before, you can serve the world in many different ways. I, I'm very convinced that I, I was serving the world probably more effectively than many other people are in government by being a humanitarian aid worker. And I was helping people and serving, uh, I don't know, the cause of women equality by being the Sherpa of the G20 on the issues of women equality because we managed to bring on paper a lot of policies and commitments by governments in implementing them. Um, and, and I think that is already service, but I do think that finally real political position is also where a lot of decisions are taken and, and where there is a lot of responsibility to take these type of decisions. And I see myself as going into politics, not to make it my career, but because I can serve at that point in an efficient way and have an impact through politics as a mean uh, and as a way, one of the many ways of serving, probably one of the most noble ones to me, also that's not how it's perceived, but it should be. Um, but I see it as one of the ways in which I'm going to serve. And to me, that vision makes it a bit easier because there's so many politicians in Italy, like Matteo Renzi, they haven't done much else in their lives than being a politician. So if they wouldn't be reelected, what would they do? Like they don't, they don't have a, their own job or their own career to go back to. That is their career. And to me, maybe I'm going to change my mind, I will find that to me, that is a point of dictation because you need to grab and you need to hold onto power as for, for your own livelihood, for your own survival. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to be anyone. Um, so I'm actually very careful to the fact that I want to be someone and, and be a citizen and have civic engagement and be an executive as Gaia. And if there's a right opportunity and right moment, I do want to serve, but I want to be able to get out if I need to compromise too much on certain values, on certain principles or certain things that I'm trying to carry forward. And I can do that if I know that I, I go back to what I am, which is serving in many different ways. I can't do it if politics is my only livelihood. Um, and I think that's how I hope to mitigate this dilemma uh, to a certain extent. And to really go with all myself into politics, try also to shift the perception that people have of politics. I would really hope that that would be one of the things I can do with my character, my way of being. I'm a very honest, very spontaneous person. And I don't think that's very common in politics. And, and maybe as you say, Matteo Renzi had charisma, had a way of speaking to people that really spoke to people. And I think I could have something similar, uh, but then be able to you know, unplug <laughs> the plan at the right moment if needed. Because by now Matteo Renzi is one of the many people attached to the seat uh, that, mm. you know, clearly it's not what the country wants or maybe needs right now, maybe I'm wrong, but if he's not seen as credible anymore, not many people trust him, his party is, the projections is at 2%, he shouldn't even make it into, into parliament because we have a 3% um, percent criteria to get into parliament. And, and that's a sign that maybe your time for now is done. Maybe you should, you know, contribute to the world in a different way and then come back if there is a right moment 
uh, for you to, to shape again uh, the, the world you're in, not just to occupy one of the seats that yeah. are not being given to people that maybe have a different charisma, a different idea, a different vision that wants to come into politics and that can't because literally Italian politics is completely fully occupied by the same people again and again. And it's not really changing at these elections that we're going to have in September. You see the same people, the same names, unfortunately, coming back and, and blocking new parties or new people from coming in. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so life, life is not only about politics and, and you can change and have an impact on the world outside of politics. Definitely. And I think everything we do is a bit political. <laughs> That's my vision. Like, you know, it's but politics is everywhere. Politics is really in your daily life decision. That's already politics. Being a politician is one way of changing things. And I hope that I will do that one day. I really think it's a great honor to serve and, and to have that type of responsibility and represent people. But in the meantime, there are many other things you can do before, during, after that really can have an impact on the world. And, and that doesn't mean you're not politically active or, or you're not engaged from a civic perspective. You are. You are shaping the world you live in every day. We all are. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of being aware of it and, and, and doing what you can with it. Gaia, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Wish you all the best in politics and outside of politics. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having me. And I hope there will be some interesting thoughts for who's listening to us. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked the episode. Please share it with someone who might find it valuable as well. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should talk to, let me know. You can find out more on my website. Head over to politicwise.org. Until the next time.